All right, everyone. Welcome to our third episode of the Mocha SMC podcast. I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we're the Mocha SMCs. So let's recap for our listeners who we are and why we're here. We are two Black single mothers by choice who are working to unpack all the things that surround this non-traditional path. Now, my disclaimer for this episode is that this is a Black space. We welcome listeners who aren't Black, but know that we're not going to sugarcoat your sugarcoat our feelings or on these issues or sanitize them for our white listeners. Don't worry, boo. We still love you. We just live in your space daily. So without further ado, today we're talking about the donor choice. Da, da, da. Okay. <laughs> so last episode, we got into the nitty gritty about how to go about technically getting pregnant without doing the dirty. Once you analyze your particular fertility situation uh, you need to spend some time choosing the goods. I mean, this is serious because at least half of your kids' genetics, more if, you're, if you've got an embryo donation, if you go that route. So Aisha, how did you go about choosing your donor and what were the most important things uh, to you when you made this decision? Well, first I will say, when I sat down to do um, donor choosing, I did talk it through with one of my sisters and she's just like, oh, you know, what fun, you get to pick your kids' features and all that other good stuff. And so it's just like, okay, so I got in the headspace, like I'm going to do this. And so I sat down and, you know, I entered in my criteria and then I got back, you know, um, like six donors. And so my criteria was, you know, I wanted someone who was black. I wanted someone who was like 5'10 or, or taller. I wanted someone, you know, with brown eyes. So you get to pick all of these different options, a clean, you know, clean health record. And so then when I did my um, search, it came back with like six donors. And I'm like, what? I'm like, wait, that can't be right. So, and then it was even less because then I said, okay, from these donors, let me pick open ID because, you know, that's when the kid gets to uh, meet, potentially meet the donor at 18. And so then it was two. And so it's just like, oh, okay, that that's not wrong. Let me change my criteria. So I did another search, changed the criteria. And again, it came up with like, you know, a single digit number. And so then I was just like, okay, okay, let me start from scratch. Let me just see how many total. And there were like 550 or 554. And I remember that number because it stood out in my head. I was like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, everyone using, you know, donor sperm, they can't be choosing from only 554 donors. Like, what, what does that mean? And so remind you, I'm naive to all of this. I'm new to this. My, mm-hmm. my fertility clinic said, here's a bank that we use, go with that bank. And I'm like, okay, cool. This must be what everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went with uh, California Cryo and I did my search and I was just like, wait a minute. Everybody really is just picking from 554 donors. Mm-hmm. And so well, that was you, my they, shock. The, the donor selection that you see is a snapshot, right? Because like, if you choose someone, like I always tell women, don't fall in love with the donor choice, right? Because mm-hmm. like, if you're not ready to purchase it like that day, you can come back tomorrow and he's not available. Yes. And so yeah. it's kind of like a rolling number, right? Because essentially, at least at California Cryobank, I know that they like cap the amount of families who can use a single donor. So you could be really excited about your donor. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, it's sold out and he's retired. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, so yeah, so that was pretty much my, my, um, my criteria. And I will say that I could not find of the two black donors, I mm-hmm. could not find what I was looking for because I was, I was also trying to limit the number of siblings. And so mm-hmm. I also wanted a, a donor that had a low number of pregnancies or none. And so I was okay being the first pregnancy for a donor. So I went back and redid my search because I knew that I had dated um, black men. I had dated Southeast Asian men. So I knew that, okay, if I couldn't find Black, there's a spectrum of hues to choose from. And I started going from the Blackest and on down, but I knew that I just could not do white. Um, And so I ended up choosing a donor that was dark brown. And Mm -hmm. I knew that that dark brown mixed with my dark brown and kinky curly hair would give me a child that would pass as a black child um, Mm -hmm. with brown skin. And so that was important to me. So it's interesting because I didn't actually think about like people are like, oh, I chose somebody that like, you know, fit the description of someone I would date. And like, to me, that just didn't ever come into my thought process. I think Mm -hmm. for me, it was more just like, could this, like if my kid ends up looking just like this person, could they still kind of look like me or like look like they fit in my family? Mm -hmm. And um, the things I cared about. So the top of my list was education. I actually Mm -hmm. wanted someone who was pursuing a master's degree or a JD. I ended up with somebody who was pursuing a JD, Uh, tall and athletic. Um, Somebody, and this is the weird one, like someone who didn't break obvious grammar rules in their essay. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, I know some people were probably like, you know, you read the essay and I'm like, yes, I read the essay. And so I know this probably makes me an intellectual snob, but you know, it is what it is. If you get to choose, right. You Um, choose what you want. But something that I didn't realize would dwindle my options, at least initially was the race question. Cause to me, I didn't want a white donor. I chose a biracial black donor because Mm -hmm. I'm really sensitive to children blending into a family. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, so for me, one of my earliest childhood memories was being on the U S Mexico border in Tijuana standing terrified next to a border patrol agent with their weapons drawn as they interrogated me because I'm a different color than my white mother. They assumed she was trying to smuggle me across the border into the U S. And so I didn't want to be accused of being the nanny. And since I'm very racial, I knew that if I chose a white donor, my kids would basically turn out looking pretty white. Right. Um, And that to me was like, I mean, I, I, I love my heritage. I love both of my parents. Um, but knowing that I wasn't going to have a partner and it wasn't going to be like, oh, that makes sense. Like one parent is white and one parent is black. I was like, I don't want to have that situation happen to me and be the only one in that situation. Um, so let's talk about race. It's a topic that comes up in both white and black SMC spaces. And it's always filled with an epic level of drama. You get the white women who are like, I don't see color and biracial children are so cute. Or the black women who swear that since their family is all colors, their biracial babies will fit in just fine. When you choose a partner, you can always explain that you just fell in love with the person and they happen to be of a different race. But when you choose a donor, there's an interesting fascination and also judgment that comes with donor race. For example, I've been asked, mostly in white spaces, mind you, what race my kid's donor is. To me, this is is as obnoxious as asking someone who their baby daddy is. What do you think, Aisha? 
So yeah, yeah, you, I have heard women get rude comments and I will be honest, I haven't gotten really rude comments and I think I might walk around with resting bitch face. Oh, I know I haven't. (laughs) They still ask. But I will say that when my oldest daughter was six months, I had started dating um, a guy and I, once I shared that I used a donor and he'd gotten to meet my, my daughter, you know, and he was just like, oh, there's no way that anybody who would see us all three together would assume that I was her father, that we could make that baby, mm-hmm. which was baffling oh, because who said you were going to be around that long, one, mm-hmm. but two, I'm not looking for a father for my kid. And three, I'm not trying to pass my child off as somebody else's kid. It's so and weird so... how many dudes think that we're out here looking for baby daddies. Like we came for this <laughs> to this path for a reason. And if we wanted a baby daddy, we would have found a baby daddy before we had babies. <laughs> yes. So the audacity of that assumption. But, you know, I am a little bit sensitive about being judged for my choice. Um, and I, I did have that in mind when I chose the donor that I chose because I wanted to make sure my daughter looked like she belonged to me because I did not want to be assumed to be the nanny. I didn't want any of the extra drama on top of being a a single mother by choice. I think it's also interesting that um, I think it's like if I were to give somebody advice going into this process, I would say like Think about the fact that one day you're going to have to explain to your children how you went through this process, right? I mean, okay, maybe not. You you might not have to explain, but I think for the most part, if you're a good parent, you're going to want to answer those questions if they have them. And imagine a kid coming to you and asking you how you made the decision. And I want to be able to give my kids an honest answer. And I think one of the things that's really hard for me when I read when I read these threads about race is that oftentimes I see women who really haven't unpacked their feelings about race and they're going into this. And a lot of them are people who are choosing different races in their own and they haven't really unpacked how they feel about their own race on both sides. Right. Like you'll have white women that are like, Oh, I don't want my kid to be pale like me. It's like, okay, like own the fact that you're white and sit with that for a minute. (laughs) Like, And then the same on the side with black women who are like, I want my kids to have good hair or, you know, I want them to. Or I date, you know, I date, you know, all races. I date white men. And so, you know, and, and yeah. And then you, yeah, there's just. And then I wonder, I'm like, okay, so are you trying to like essentially pass your kid off as your future boyfriend's kid? Like, I mean, like this kid's not going to be biologically related to someone you date in the future. Right. Yeah. So, um, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really understand that part of it. No, it's just like, you know, just, just fully embrace the SNC path. And, you know, yeah, we all, you know, uh, some of us envision finding a partner later in life, but who knows what that partner is going to look like? Who knows who that partner is going to be? If that partner will even look like they could have helped sire your adult child, you know, if it gets to that point, but it's just, like fully embrace the here and the now then just move forward but make the best decision yeah totally 
All right. So we both have our own anecdotal evidence about how few black donors there were to choose from. But since you know I like cold hard facts, I went to California Cryobank, the largest sperm bank in the US, uh, which actually happened to be also the, the same one both of us chose. Um uh, to do an up-to-date search myself. And like I said earlier, you know, what you see on the site is kind of like the rolling number. So it's not like 500 people for until the end of time, you know, with these donors, it's just happens to be that snapshot. So when I went on California Cryobank, out of 406 donors, which were the number of donors available as of January, 2021, there were only 12 who identified as African-American or black, which is a whopping... 2.9% of the donor pool for California cryobank. Mm -hmm. So then I was just like, okay, let me expand my options to include mixed heritage, which would include biracial black. And I was surprised because the number actually only increased to 15 out of 406. Um, and then on top of that, if you filter out donors who are carriers of the gene for sickle cell, you only get, you only get eight. And yeah. so if you can imagine of, you know, if, if you are a black woman who is a carrier of sickle cell, like you're not going to choose one of the ones that has it. So it even makes your pool that much smaller. Um, so you really don't even have to be that picky to end up with like nobody <laughs> or right, maybe right. one or two. Uh, and then you, you know, obviously have to look at their picture. And if you're looking at their picture and you don't even think it's a cute baby, like, I hate to say it, but like, come on, <laughs> you can choose. But that's if they even have pictures. That's exactly. So I was like, okay, so maybe California cryobank is just like going through a, a dry period. The, with the COVID people, drop. Right? right. So like maybe, <laughs> maybe they're special. So I was like, let me expand. I tried Seattle sperm bank seven African-American black donors and Cal and uh, Fairfax had 33 out of 444, which is actually the best out of all of okay. them, but it's okay. still only 7.4%, which doesn't even reflect, like isn't close to the reflection of how many black people are in the population in the U S mm -hmm. which is just kind of abysmal. Um, so Aisha, what are your thoughts on these numbers? Like, why do you think they're so low, especially when we see it, at least we see an obvious demand for black donors? So, um, so why are they so low? Um, well, I think they're low for the same reason um, that black moms are more likely to die in childbirth, right? The same reason that black households have the lowest levels of wealth, um, you know, institutional racism, unconscious bias, lack of diversity in the rooms where donor recruitment decisions are made. Um, the large cryo banks are not necessarily recruiting where Black people are. Um, I will tell you just from my own professional experience, when I talk about HBCUs, historically Black colleges or universities, people are people are, you know, they don't necessarily know what HBCU stands for. And so if these um, are the same people that are in the rooms making the decisions about where to recruit today, if HBCU is not part of their lexicon, mm -hmm. they're going to say, let's go to Howard today. They're going to say, let's mm -hmm. go to Penn State or let's go to UC Berkeley or something yeah. like that. So I mean, yeah, I, think I think it's also probably the, the, the numbers go down because they are often 
looking for people who are at least pursuing or in the middle of getting a degree, right? So we know that historically, um, unless you go to an HBCU, you're going to find less people. I also wonder if there's a stigma in the black community with like having a bunch of babies out there, right? Like, mm-hmm. and even though we, you and I know, and you know, many of these women or many women who pursue this know, like you're not getting child support, right? This is not your baby daddy. This is just simply a donor. But I think there probably is some anxiety about like what happens when like, you know, 18 year old kid knocks on my door and I have like 12 of them. Right. Uh Uh (laughs) And my like wife at the time is like, dude, you know, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, there's the other aspect of it with the the Tuskegee experiment. Right. And Mm. so even if you were to go on a college campus and you were to get a group of um, black people, how many of them would not be aware of the historical significance of the Tuskegee experiment and people coming at you with noodle um, needles? wanting your goods right so yeah. there is you know like, I think, you're gonna pay me for this and there's no catch what are you gonna do with it right and so it's like how do I know that you're just taking something out of me and not putting something into me right and so so yes yeah, so I get it yeah it's crazy it's totally crazy so okay so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a shocking case back from 2014 that rocked the SMC community and LGBTQ communities alike. This case was called Cromblet versus Midwest Spurn Bank. So the gist of this case is that a well-meaning white woman named Jennifer Cromblet filed a wrongful birth and breach of warranty lawsuit in both federal and state court where she alleged that the fertility clinic where her daughter was conceived gave her the wrong sperm. She'd requested a vial of white, blue-eyed, blonde hair donor. Instead, the clinic accidentally gave her the sperm of a black man. So Jennifer and her partner, Ashley, asserted that they loved their biracial daughter dearly. However, they still sued for personal injuries, medical expenses, pain, suffering, emotional distress, and other economic and non-economic losses caused by the error. So the reason that I raised this case is that, to me, the discussion of this case really really rocked our community. I remember the threads on the social media sites when women would try to justify their donor race decisions whilst throwing disclaimers that they weren't racist or race hating. Um, And I, I also thought it was interesting because the case made me think about, you know, really think deeply about like this white couple raising this black child and potentially how often somebody makes a donor decision because maybe they think that biracial kids are cute, but then like they've got a black kid and they're just like, Oh, I didn't realize this was going to be so hard. So Aisha, what are your thoughts on this? I have so many thoughts. So I will say, I do recall this case up in the SMC community. And I know for me, there were two things that really stood out to me. One was, you know, when you decide to become a parent, you don't get to choose your kid, 
right? Even though you you chose the donor. Yes, I get that part. And, you know, I empathize. But at the end of the day, you gave birth and this kid is looking at you to love it and to shepherd them through the world. And I knew even when I was dating, like I would date some guys that were attractive, some guys that were mildly attractive, some guys that were intellectual um, and maybe <laughs> so not so attractive. Not, not so hot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I knew that ultimately, if I had a child with any one of these men, the child would will fend for themselves like they would look like what they look like when they were born love them regardless and so I kind of wish that this couple had made the decision that I'm going to be happy and love my kid because the other side of that equation is the kid right and so as parents we grapple with our own stuff but imagine having to to grapple with that and raise this kid that you didn't anticipate having this biracial child and raise them without any resentment for you being in the situation. How do you do that? And one of the things that that the the one mom talked about in the article was about her cultural competency um, for raising a biracial child. And that is something that I don't think a lot of people give much thought to, you know, in being intentional, especially um, when you are choosing a black donor and you are a white woman or someone who is non-black, right? What is your cultural competency? You know, how well do you think that you could raise and prepare this child for the world, for understanding their history, for understanding the things that might come at them? Um, as they they grow up, how well are you at doing this? Because it's not going to be Pollyanna-ish, right? It's not going to be, oh, we just love everybody. Everybody's colorblind because that is not how the world is going to look at that kid. And so I viewed it from two lens, one as the parent and then remembering what it took for my parents to raise me in a culturally competent way. So it's interesting. The other, just the other day, um, I was having a discussion with someone in the SMC space who happened to be a white woman. And she was like, well, you know, you know, my donor is Irish and I don't feel like I have to teach my kids about Irish heritage. And I had to explain to her that like race isn't like, isn't, isn't a country, right. It's experiential. Right. So I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily like going back to Africa and like telling my kids they have to learn about like, you know, some African country that, that we have in our DNA. Um, but I can't deny the fact that they are going to be moving through this world as black women. And I think, you know, in, in many ways I feel very fortunate because I can explain to them from actual experience when I talk about racism and I know that, you know, they will eventually experience and my, you know, at least my older daughter has already experienced um, situations of racism in school. And when I explain that to her, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not explaining it to her as somebody who's like, yes, I feel terrible because you're my child. I'm explaining it to her because I know how it feels because it's happened to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the, the concern that I have when we talk in these spaces about donor race, uh, especially when it comes up in the white space is oftentimes I think that, um, what a lot of women want to hear is, oh, it's going to be okay because they're white too. So, and their culture is going to be white. 
when, and then when black women jump in and they're like, Hey, and they bring up the cultural competency issue, people get uncomfortable because it kind of forces them to recognize that just because you're not culturally competent doesn't necessarily mean you're racist, right? Mm -hmm. It could just mean that you literally do not have the competency because you have never experienced it. Well, and also, so if you're a white mom, you are probably thinking that the history of Black people started in this country 400 years ago, whereas Mm -hmm. a a Black African-American women, Black African-American women, we know that Black history didn't start 400 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. We are descendants of kings and queens. You know, we, we, our countries are rich and beautiful, you know, where our ancestors come from. My start in telling my kids about their history is not going to be what I read unchallenged in a history book at school. Mm -hmm. My parents made sure that we knew a deeper level of what our history was. And it extended way before 400 years ago on these soiled lands where we pick cotton, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just say like, uh, to both, to both, no matter what race you are, if you choose to have a donor that is a different race than your own, I think it's really important to have people in your life that will have a similar identity potentially to your children so that they have access to people who have similar experiential, you know, life stories because I, I just, um, you know, I, I certainly like my mom is white, right. And she was great. She's a great mom. And I am so glad that I had her. Um, but I also am very thankful that I had access to my black father. So when it came to situations where I was just like, wow, this just happened. Right. I, I had somebody who had actually experienced it. Right that I could talk to. And yeah, I mean, sometimes my dad has some crazy thoughts on things, but at the end of the day, also just, I think it's so important to have that and go ahead, Aisha. Yeah. And have your parents validate that and not Mm -hmm. tell you that, no, no, that wasn't what happened, you know, where, you know, and 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 this happens, right, when you have biracial, when you have um, parents of a different race that are just like, oh, this kid was beautiful. They tend mm-hmm. to miss the, the, the subtleties, the microaggressions that could happen right in front of your face and just and never experienced it. It goes over your head, but your kid is left feeling some kind of mm-hmm. broken way. Right. And I think a lot of times people, I mean, I know in my family, my white family, like they see us as one of them. Right. And so like, whenever we talk about like black lives mattering and issues like that, I mean, thank God my mom is like more woke than that. Right. But some people in my extended family, you know, they're like, Oh, well you're white too. Like, why do you always have to identify with the black side? Right. And it's just like, I I can't, I can only imagine what it must be like for a kid who is not feeling validated. Um, by, by their parent. And it, and it could go both ways, right? Like you could have a black mom and you could be biracial and your black mom is like not validating the fact that you have, you might have a different experience walking through life. That's going to be my challenge <laughs> because I, I had someone who, a biracial friend that's just like, oh yeah, I can tell that your child is mixed. And I'm just like, no, you can't. And oh, we have, like, we have biracial, 
radar, man. I can always tell. I can like, always I can. tell. And so, you know, I I have tweaked. I I've had to look inward and really tweak myself. Um, that my girls could decide that they want to know more about that other um, part of their DNA. And I have to be open and willing to have that discussion with them and be able to take them, walk with them through that journey. Um, For me, raising Black girls, I think that it's going to take everything that I have right now to keep them whole and intact and, you know, and well-grounded in their Blackness. And, you know, so that's going to be the harder, more immediate task for me. Um, I think embracing the other part um, will probably be a cakewalk after they are grounded in, in that and then, you know, have to brace myself for them being individuals and then, you know, making the choice. But for now, I think their safety and their mental and emotional well-being um, is dependent on me making sure that they know who they are and that they are comfortable and that they are happy um, with who they are. I totally agree with that. I will say that like right now, I mean, I know that right now at this moment in history, this is certainly, I can't, I can't say, you know, I don't want to play the oppression Olympics. Like I know that like, this is not the hardest time for black people, but I will say that like one of my biggest challenges lately as a single parent, single mother is just when those things arise, right? Like particularly when the black lives matter protests were happening, having to explain that to my children and potentially find ways to outsource, right? Like I couldn't sit down with my partner and be like, Hey, this is, this is what it is. Like, it was just me, you know? And I'm just like, wow, there are moments where I'm like, I'm not that good at this. (laughs) Like I need like Sesame street or like, you know, I, I, and I remember at one point I just, I just had to call my dad and I was like, I I need you to talk to her because I don't know. (laughs) Well, I will say this. I do do watch. watch um, PBS a lot and PBS is doing a really good job with a lot of these topics. Um, Mm -hmm. but I was recently thrown for a loop when, um, the commentators on TV was, were talking about people of color. And my daughter said, mommy, we're people of color, right? And I'm like, yes. And then I had to try to recall, did they say something positive or did they say something negative? And so, because I was not paying attention, but you know, it's those, those conversations, those things that just kind of stumps you Mm -hmm. and you are in the moment and you have to do the best that you can in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting. I think also something that really shocked me about race and parenting, and I feel like we could have a whole nother episode on this, but one thing that really shocked me is just how early it happens. You know, like, I mean, my daughter, my older daughter is in second grade. And recently she was telling me that she was telling me about the, the associations that people in her old class were making about race and how one of her best friends told her that all homeless people are black and that eventually all black people become homeless. And she was terrified. She's like, are we going to be homeless? And she's seven. Like seven. So yeah, it 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 starts earlier than I think a lot of people want to believe. My daughter was in kindergarten when she came home. Well, she was 
was in kindergarten when she came home and told me that one of her friends, a little Asian boy, told her that the ghetto is where Black people live. Oh, man. And then my daughter on the other side for cultural insensitivity, you know, when she was in, um, I want to say around three, three and a half, maybe, maybe it was four. She came home and she told me, mom, my little friend stinks and I don't want to be his friend anymore, you know, because, because, you know, cultural ingredients and spices and seasonings Mm -hmm. that are used, you know, and so she will tell me and recent as recent as like five, she told me, I don't like going to so and so's house because it smells bad. And but I didn't tell them I didn't tell I didn't tell him to his face. I kept it to myself. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. We had to have conversations Ugh. because, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, mm-hmm. our kids can be culturally insensitive as well. But I want to make sure that it's it's something that we um, we engage and have a conversation around because it starts mm-hmm. at home. And we wonder how some of these kids just kind of grow into these insensitive monsters and racists and it's just like it starts at like three four five and but definitely I think that the 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 I guess the the takeaway here is that when you are picking a donor race matters it just does and you may think that you're colorblind right uh that you don't see race or whatever they're saying these days but it matters and it will matter for your kids because no matter how woke you are, they are going to go out into the world and they are going to learn these things and you need to have the answers. So when you're picking your donor, think about that wisely. All right, listeners, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you again for joining us this week. If you enjoy listening to us, please share with your friends. Don't be shy about giving us a shout on social media via text to your girls, whatever your thing is. So until next time, we are the Mocha SMCs. Bye now.